Your money is better in my pocket than in yours. Think about that for a second. Your money is better in my pocket. Why? I've got a greater mission for your money. If your mission is to go and get boozed out and take your money and make a million bucks and go and buy a nice car and buy a nice house and live a very selfish lifestyle, just give it to me. Give it to me because I don't give a crap, right? Like I will literally take that money, I will give it to another family, and I will keep furthering my mission of helping people. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 14, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. On Fire is a weekly podcast where we discuss financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Wow, we've been doing this podcast now for 14 episodes. I think it's time we had the talk. It's time you guys made our relationship official by giving us a written review. Doesn't need to be dramatic, just a declaration of your undying love for us. And so shout out to the people that have, since the last podcast, declared their undying love for us. People like Paul Plumstead, really appreciate it. Soen, 23, and Bodur, 22, or I probably butchered that, but usernames are hard to pronounce, guys. But we really do appreciate you leaving us the uh, written review. And it really does help people find out more about our podcast. It helps in the discoverability of the algorithms, computers, you know that stuff. (laughs) Yes, thank you guys. So this episode is brought to you by OREC 2018, a two-day conference being held at the London Convention Center on May 26th and May 27th. If you wanted a chance to come out and meet a group of our previous guests, this would be your opportunity. Guys like Graham Stephan, Jeff Weibo, Michael Rosehart, Dan Warren, a ton of others. Check out their website, OREC 2018, O-R-E-C 2018.com. They've also offered a discount code for the On Fire listeners, so check it out and use the coupon code LDN On Fire to drop the price to seventy five bucks for the weekend. Full disclosure: I'm the host of OREC 2018, and this advertisement cost is it's too cheap because no one else is bidding against me right now. So if you're interested in being a future sponsor, slide into our DMs on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. Today's guest is Ben, the humble wholesaler. He's a seasoned real estate wholesaler who's completed over 100 transactions, but he's just started out with his social media, so we're getting into the grassroots. I love how Ben's having fun branding himself and his business, as well as still driven by a really meaningful mission. Let's dive into the interview with Ben. Welcome to the show, Ben. Appreciate you joining. Awesome to have you on the show, Ben, or should we say humble? Humble, man. It's always humble. (laughs) And so we figured, let's just kind of jump uh, back to the roots. So can you kind of walk us through your background, kind of how you discovered the idea of financial independence, real estate investing, working for yourself? How did that all kind of come about? Good question, man. Well, it came from, you know, kind of a deep desire to really want to do something different, right? Like I come, I come from Romania, a communist country. So coming to Canada was like a huge blessing for our family. I'm that individual that doesn't take anything for granted. And I realized that I've got opportunities here to do something in this country that a lot of my family back home just doesn't have. So for me, it's a deep, I would say, sense of responsibility that I just need to do something over and above. You know what I mean? Greater than have a higher calling, have a greater purpose for what you're doing. So I'd always had that kind of driving factor within and just needed to find an outlet in order to express that. And then what, you know, I I had an interest in real estate. I had some family members that were interested in real estate and that were already doing it. And then I realized that, you know, this, this is probably my avenue. So I just, I sought out the information. I went to every course. I bought every program, you know, and I spent, I spent now about 10 years finding out what works and what doesn't work. And I finally nailed down a niche that works for me really well. Wow. So what did you do? Did you go to high school? Did you jump out of high school and go straight into real estate? Or what was your story there? Well, dude, I, I just kept it humble all throughout high school. I had no interest of actually, uh, 
going into real estate initially, I was going to do music full time. So I, I've been a musician my whole life, played keys, you know, played guitar, trumpet. So I, I did that here and I've been involved in, you know, like my church group and that kind of thing. Nice. After university. So, you know, went to university for music, did that for a while. And then I connected with another really young entrepreneur who was doing a lot of stuff here locally. And then I kind of, kind of got the, that, that driving force that was always underneath started to kind of unveil and, and it really kind of started to, to open up and, and give me some perspective on the business world. So I, I took a couple of courses in university. After about a year, I actually dropped out of university because I realized that for me, I had learned enough to make a valuable change in what I was doing and learning how to do accounting 10.0 was not going to help me do entrepreneurship. So for me, it was about getting the fundamentals, the basics, and then just street smarts, man. I think I think the reason why Humble is such a brand is because the reality is I was just humble and hungry, and I still am. In all fairness, very humbly speaking, I am the hungriest guy I know. I am the best sales guy I know, and I've got the greatest purpose of any business guy I know. So that's why I grind. That's why I'm here Saturdays. Sundays, it doesn't matter, man. Like I'm just always on the go. And if I'm not physically on the go, my brain, man, my brain is on the go. You know what I mean? So I tell people that, you know, my age is 33, but my soul, dude, my soul is like 157. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been through so many, you know, deals and experiences and conversations. And, you know, I just think I've got a different perspective on business in general. It's not just about getting the fancy whips and, you know, all the stuff that comes with it and the money, like that's all great. It's all a nice byproduct. The whole reason I created the humble brand was basically to say to people, listen, man, it's not that serious. Money is not that serious. Real estate investing is not that serious. I can have fun with this, enjoy myself. And the reality is if you're taking it very seriously, it's probably because you're not confident enough. Yeah. You don't want to make a joke about money because you struggle with money and you struggle with having money and you see money as a scarcity where I see money as a point of abundance. Like there's no shortage of money. Yeah. What there is is yeah. a shortage of people willing to find ways to make it happen. It's funny. You say it's a, it's something, not only is it a scarcity, but it's something that people don't like to talk about, right? So we grow up with our parents typically not wanting to talk about money. We talk to our coworkers, students, people don't like talking about money. So it's yeah, it ends up being this scarcity thing. And it's it's not this big, scary thing that people shouldn't be talking about. They should be open about these things and learning. I completely agree with you. And I think the, I think like anything else, right, the more you really try to understand something and gain a higher level of clarity around it, you know, the less the less scary and the less the less difficult it really becomes. So, you know, what happens, I think, is people start with with the analysis, they start with the numbers and they turn this whole business into numbers. And the reality is real estate is not about numbers. Real estate is about people. Real estate is about being able to make deals, help people, you know, grow a portfolio of wealth, be financially independent. It's not a numbers game. If you want to focus on numbers, become a mathematician and be a truest in that form. But don't approach real estate like it's a numbers proposition. Numbers are not the only metric. But a lot of people have that mentality around real estate, which is why the numbers are the most important. That's their crux. That's their, if you will, that's that's the apex of their concerns is, is this, the numbers, right? What's my ROI? Dude, who cares what your ROI is? Is it a good deal? Do you even like the property? Do you even like the guy you're working with? And I think that's the biggest challenge, especially with younger investors, is that number one, they never commit. 
meaning that they got to feel good about the numbers before they commit, which is completely the opposite approach, I think, is what you should take. I think you need to do a, a calculated analysis, have a calculated risk profile, and then you have to jump in with both feet and just start running. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're going to be the guy who does two or three deals in your life. And I'm going to be the guy who's done 105 deals in four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. And so you did those deals in Windsor. Is there a particular reason? Is Windsor where you grew up or is there what drew you to Windsor or is it? So we came here in 1991. I'm an immigrant, right? So I came here. We were uh, we basically fled a communist country. We landed in a refugee camp in Austria. And, you know, I'm the oldest of nine kids, right? That's why I keep it humble, man, because wow. we have humble, humble beginnings, brother, like the oldest of nine. My parents had one every year for nine years, right? And I was tasked with kind of taking care of the, the clan, if you will. So, yeah, we, we moved to Austria and then we immigrated over to, to Windsor directly because we had some relatives here. So I landed here when I was about six years old. And, you know, now that I look back on it, I wouldn't change a thing regarding location. Now, that being said, I bought properties in Phoenix, right? Arizona. I got some U.S. properties. But Windsor's always been my playground, not just because I landed here, but because of the metrics and because a lot of the factors that I consider important in real estate investing made a lot more sense in Windsor than in other parts of the country. And today, I'm going to argue that Windsor is the best market in Canada. I don't care if you're in Toronto, Vancouver, BC. Like The reality is for anybody starting out or anybody who's experienced, I find that the return on time, investment, capital, I'd make a very strong argument that Windsor is absolutely by far the best town. Wow. So, okay, so you're in university, you decide, I'm going to drop out, I want to go and pursue real estate. What was some of your yep. first deals? What did they look like? Or did you have somebody you were working with? What was the story there? Dude, it was rough. It was rough, man. Like, to keep it humble, it wasn't easy. Like, I know from the outside, it looks like, man, this humble guy's got it together. This is super straightforward, super easy, super whatever. It's not, man. It's a freaking grind. Yeah. So I had to, like, literally buy every course. You know, I bought the Kiyosaki course, right? I went in and I did that. And uh, I bought every other multi-unit investing course. And I didn't have a direction. I was just looking for information. I think probably one of my greatest strengths is knowing when I have a weakness and then willing to commit to finding an answer for that weakness or lack of knowledge, right? I just consume, man. I consume everything I can find if it's an area that I'm interested in. Right. Because I recognize that my ignorance is my, well, my biggest setback. Yeah. It's the, I know what I don't know. And I think that some of the strongest, some of the best entrepreneurs I know, they're aware of what they don't know. And the biggest thing is that they take responsibility for everything. If something goes wrong, if they have a tenant that fucks up their unit or they have, they have some major issue going on, they don't blame that, that person. They blame themselves for the bad screening. They're not like, oh, my boss at work isn't giving me a raise. They're like, this is a problem of my own. This is my own creation and I'm going to address it directly. I completely agree with that logic because the reality is I'm 100% responsible for everything around me directly or indirectly. So so here's here's what happens. I, let's say I get a customer and they're upset because I'm trying to sell them a home and, and one of my reno guys screws up a job, right? I call that person and say, ma'am, I am sorry I screwed up. And she's like, what are you talking about? It was the rental guy. Yeah, but that rental guy works for me. So that means it's my problem to resolve. And I'm not going to pass the buck or point the blame. I'm going to take full accountability. And let's see how we can go ahead and get this resolved. So 
if you want to be an entrepreneur, all in all honesty, every entrepreneur that I know who's successful and does well is a person of great conviction and a person who's willing to own up everything around him. Whether he does it, somebody else does it, it happens to him, right? To the point where they just say, I'm in full control of what, what's going on in my life. And if somebody like you got a hater or somebody's trying to cause troubles or whatever, I say, listen, you got to take an intro introspective approach thinking, what did I do different or what can I do different? I got a guy who hates me. Fine. Most people would look at that guy and point the fingers and start judging him. I say, did I do something wrong? What did I do to get this negative attention? What can I do to fix this negative? I got a perfect story. Actually, just happened today. I had a realtor come to my office and here's the deal. I just did. It's a wholesale deal off of a Kijiji ad or wherever I got the lead. I go into a guy's house, right? I make him a deal. We make a cash offer. I buy the deal. Well, the guy mentions to me, hey, by the way, I have a realtor and he thinks it's worth like 25 grand more. I said, great. Why didn't you list it with him? He said, I don't know. Hmm. I know the answer. It's because you don't trust the realtor. That's the only feasible answer. If you know a realtor is promising you 25 grand more, it's because you don't trust the result. You don't trust the realtor. You don't want to go through the process. Perhaps this guy just doesn't want to be bothered, yeah. right? So I lock up the deal. Guess what I did? I called the realtor. Hey, dude, you want a deal? <laughs> no. <laughs> yep. I was like, I heard from the, from the guy that, you know, you're willing to pay five grand more. So why don't you come do a deal? And he came to my office and he was livid. Like, this guy's upset. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. Like, I can see it where he thinks I'm taking food off his table because he would have been entitled to a commission and otherwise and whatever. And I fully appreciate the circumstance. But my job as a buyer and as an investor is to get deals done. It's not to get emotionally attached to things and, you know, whatever. So my point is this. Within an hour, I had this guy who was livid. I let him him express his... His anger, his concerns. I sat there. We worked it out. Well, we're doing the deal today. Not only are we doing the deal, but he brought me a buyer. And he agreed to waive his commission. So that he can help his seller and help his buyer. So as a good faith gesture for me, I said, let me go ahead and at least pay you something. Because technically, if, if I want to take his position or his angle, it was his seller that he didn't lock up. It's his buyer that he already had set up. And he's given me his commission because I was there and I locked it up. Yeah. <laughs> you see why he's upset, right? Yeah. And so I think that leads in perfectly. Let's just kind of discuss for our audience in case they're not fully familiar with the idea of wholesaling real estate. Can you kind of explain for them what that exactly is and why someone maybe would choose to wholesale real estate to you? Yeah. I think wholesaling real estate is the holy grail in all fairness. And I can say that with confidence because I've done everything else, right? Outside of a, a couple avenues like massive commercial and uh, you know massive multi-unit residential, which I don't, which I don't care for, I've done everything else basically in real estate. And and this is wholesaling is the most accessible form of getting into this business. What a wholesale basically is, it's you go in and lock up a property with the prospective seller, right? Whether that's through an agent or you on your own, you then take that contract and you basically sell it to another buyer. You're just the middleman. That's why it's called a wholesaler, right? Or a wholesale deal. So in that transaction, you get paid for locking up the deal. How much you get paid depends on your effectiveness and your skills. Like it all comes down to skills. If you can master the art of wholesaling, you can do flipping, you can do landlording, you can do a lot of the other activities around real estate because they require a very similar skill set. And I would say if you can master wholesaling, you can do anything. So as a result, 
we're actually starting a wholesale program in Canada and we're going to be moving it here in the next, well, couple of weeks. It's already active. We're just finishing up the content where we're going to teach active students how to go ahead and start wholesaling in a very effective way and build their own skills. The biggest problem I find in real estate is, like I said in the beginning of this, of this podcast, people focus on the numbers and they don't focus on their skills. I don't care how amazing mathematician you are. If you can't sit in front of me and close a deal, you suck. You're a crappy investor. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. I, I like that because you were saying that a lot of what your success comes from in wholesaling isn't necessarily the deal itself, which is number one thing I would normally think of, but it's your skills because you yeah. can turn. It's like poker, right? It doesn't matter what your hand is. It matters how you play it. Yeah. 100%. Skills get the deals, man. You know, and I'm partnered with one of Grant Cardone's growth con, 10X Platinum Growth Sponsors, Chris Rude. So he and I are partnering together to bring his wholesaling program to Canada, which is massive because it's already in the States and Chris is the best. He's the best coach in the country by far because he cares more about his students than anybody else. And there's a ton of success stories within those courses. But he's the first guy that I found is actually tangibly bringing value in teaching where he's keeping people accountable. He's staying on top of them. He's investing his time. It's not some rinky-dink course that he just puts out there. So as a result... He's teaching you how to gain the skills that I'm talking about. He's not teaching you how to analyze numbers. You know who teaches you to analyze numbers? Mrs. O'Neill in grade three when you're doing addition and subtraction. Most people never get beyond Miss O'Neill. No wonder you can't buy a deal is because you're stuck in third grade, man. That's right? amazing. You got your finger in your nose most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you consider real estate like the best way to grow your wealth versus other avenues? Because you know, some people are into stocks and whatever. Like, wh why do you consider real estate the best? Real estate isn't the best. I'll tell you right now. Real estate was the best for me. Hmm. Based on my skill set, based on my approach, I like that. real estate was the best avenue for me. It's not the best. It's not the best avenue for growth creation. There's a lot of reasons why real estate compounds itself and gives you a huge advantage over other types of investments by far. I would make a case that if you know how to do real estate, you would never do anything but real estate. But I've actually done stock trading. I actually have a certificate in spread trading and adjustments because I went through a whole options course a few years back and I was day trading. I was paper trading. Uh, I was also trading live accounts. I was doing spreads, callers and all that kind of stuff. And only to realize coming back full circle to the origin of I got the skills to speak, right? And I need to employ those skills. So I'm a big firm believer in that 80-20 rule. I don't even think it should be 80-20. I think it should be like 95 and 5. Yeah. If I can speak effectively, I need to pursue something that makes me money in speaking effectively. Bottom Doubling line, down on your I don't, yeah, I don't need to be out learning how to options trades and putting on collars and doing all these advanced spreads with six legs in them. I have no strategic advantage in those environments. But if you get me in front of you, I will close you. Yeah. And if I don't close you on an actual transaction, I'm going to close you on the fact that I'm the best guy on the planet that you love me and you love me because I have a great purpose, a great mission, not just because I'm a good guy. It's not just about the numbers. You love, you love my energy. Why do people love humble wholesaler? It's because there's a ton of energy, dude. And this guy comes on and he, re he realizes that people don't just want the content. Humble realizes that people want to be entertained. And if you can entertain them, they'll be open to receiving the content. If you just sit there and give them content after content, it's not going to do anything for majority of people. Yeah, right? that's the truth, man, is, you know, like when I go do talks, I literally stand in front of people and I'm thinking in my brain, 90% of you people shouldn't be here. Like I did a talk on passive versus active investing a few weeks ago and I'm thinking 
90% of these just go home right now because only 10%, maybe 10% is going to take any kind of action, any kind of enough action so that you can make a considerable effort and move forward in this, in this avenue, whether it's wholesaling, passive, whatever, it doesn't matter. The reality is most people like to know the information, but they'll never act on the information. You want to be that dude who's 40, like, remember on the football team in high school, how great I threw that one pass? <laughs> That's you. Oh, that guy there, he does wholesaling. Like, well, wholesaling's easy. I could do that too, but you know, this and that. And that guy's just, all, all he does is just this, or he just does that. My point is everybody wants to know. Nobody wants to freaking do. Yeah. So people ask me, dude, why would you teach wholesaling to other people? Aren't you afraid they're going to take your business? No, I'm not afraid. I can teach 100 people about wholesaling and three of them, three of them probably are going to make a considerable effort to come and take my business. And then I'm just going to meet them on the way up, slap them high five and say, what's up, man? Why don't we just work together? You're obviously a grinder like me. You're obviously putting in the energy like me. I mean, why don't we just work together, dude? And then if he's smart, he's going to say, yes, coach. Yes, wise master, I will come under you and I will assist you and enable you in making more money so that I will receive the benefits of your outflow. That's what a wise student does, right? A dumb student says, I already know everything about real estate because I went to a rich dad conference and I paid 60 bucks there for four hours, right? If you're that dude, don't even do real estate. Yeah, this is all still kind of new to you as well, right? So I kind of want to dive in the idea of creating the humble brand. And all that, a lot of that was driven by recently you attended Grant Cardone's conference, right? And that had a major impact kind of on your perspective and kind of the trajectory of where you were going or that's my understanding. Is you, that correct? You know, you know what it was? It was, it was a shift. So my mission from day one, like when I started, like we own a mortgage business, right? And in that mortgage company, our whole mission is to serve families. We decided to become what I call the Robin Hood of real estate making home ownership accessible for families that nobody else cares about, right? There's a niche. There's a whole group of people that are hardworking Canadian citizens that have a good job and, and people literally pass them by in terms of finding them homes. Lenders don't want to work with them. Realtors ignore them. Everybody's so transactional. Nobody cares about the people, their stories, their lives, their situations. So we made it our personal mission to help 100 Windsor families stop renting and become homeowners. And if you say, well, why would you do that? I say, why not? Nobody else is doing that. That's why. Because I want to break the mold and disrupt the status quo and the status whatever. In that mission, I recognized at GrowthCon after speaking with some, well, some pretty significant guys there that the best way for you to achieve your ultimate goal, if you start with why, right? And if my why is to help 100 families, I change my why to like help 500 families. The best way for me to achieve my why is to gain mass audience, first of all, so people know what I'm doing. And as a result of that, you know, I can quickly scale and achieve that goal. I've always been a really private guy and I don't like being online and on Facebook and all this stuff, but I recognize that my personal feelings about it and my mission had nothing to do with each other. My mission was greater than my privacy. So as a result, I put myself out there. I became transparent. I created the humble character because my mission is greater than the fact that I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to know that I'm online. I don't want people to know what I'm doing. You know what? I just, I just don't care anymore because the reality is you're going to have haters anyways. And you know what? If they don't know you, they can't flow you, brother. <laughs> We've, I've heard that time, time again from people who completely rejected social media for years on end until they're like, all right, I can't ignore it anymore. I got to get out there. And now we've seen 
you know, Matt was an example of that. Didn't have a yeah. Facebook account until like a couple of years back. And now he's everywhere. We've got a whole bunch of other people in like in our crew here in London and, and elsewhere that like are just getting into social media now because they're seeing the value in it. Another thing I wanted yeah. to ask is you were talking about how you have like your mission was to get this hundred people to like to buy houses. Is this part of the wholesale business in terms of buyers, like a buyer's list? Or how do you handle the, the buyer side of things? Because finding the deal is a huge part of it. But you also have to have people ready to purchase. Correct. So a couple of things. Number one, our Forte Families is our retail brand. That's our whole mission is to help these families. As a result of current market conditions, as you know, Windsor and the rest of Southwestern and pretty much all of Canada, you know, in my opinion is, you know, is so unfair for first time home buyers and so forth. So we had to literally go in and, and find off market deals and start wholesaling just so we can continue to conduct our business and help these families. As a result of our ability to find deals, we've decided to create a wholesale brand. And that's where Humble comes in. That's where TakeMyDeal.ca, which is our investor platform, comes in where the people can get, get deals off for 10 to 30% below fair market. But the reality is this. The one thing I refuse, refuse to do is to cut corners. If I'm going to do a renovation and I've got an amazing team of reno guys, and we're not going to cut corners on quality, we're not going to cut corners on anything, and I'm not going to lower my prices. So we get people that come to us because at this point, we're basically a one-stop shop, right? So we have realtors calling us saying, Ben, I see you have homes for sale. I see that they're renovated. Can I just, can I get one from my cash buyer? Sure. I got Forte families coming saying, Ben, you know, I really want to own a home. Can I enter the Forte program and get my 100% financing and do that? Answer is sure. I got investors who come in and say, I need access to off-market deals. Do you have them for me? The answer is sure. The biggest thing for me is value add proposition, right? I'm constantly pushing the value innovation curve of our business model. And that's how I stay completely relevant all the time. I don't compete in the same red ocean of competition. If you ever read that book, Blue Ocean, it's an eye opener because it teaches you basically the difference between Apple and every other, every other PC company out there. Apple came out and said, we are not competing with PC. We are our own world. We are our own ocean. Nobody's going to compete with us in those terms because we're going to offer so much value, so much innovation that people are going to come and pay us three times as much for a Mac than they will for a PC. And I'm one of them, by the way. <laughs> and Me too. It's not because they don't do the, the function, right? It's not because you can't get the job done on either or. It's because Mac represents something different than PC. PC is the same bureaucratic it's the same old, stale union mentality type of business, right? You all want to compete in the same bloody red ocean worth of competition. And a company like Mac comes and says, nope, we're starting a whole new, a whole new juncture. We are changing the course of computer industry. So for me, I look at it the same way. Every time I sit down, I ask, what other problem am I not solving? What other value can I give away? Yeah. You know, what other value can I give away for free? Right? Yeah, I think it's all about companies point. adapting, right? And yeah, Apple's a great example of a company who adapted and started offering something that was no longer available. And ironically, they're now, I mean, in my opinion, kind of an example of a company that's losing losing that track that they that they were on, where they were they were offering all this brand new stuff that no one had ever seen before. And I mean, we haven't seen that in the last few years, and we're seeing other companies kind of start springing up a bit more. Another thing I wanted to mention is you talked about all these opportunities, all these people coming to you. You know, you're a one stop shop. How do you manage this inflow of opportunities? Because this is an issue I've been starting to see in my own life recently, where it's like, I'm surrounded by all these people and all these opportunities. And it's like, how do I, 
okay, someone comes to you, you're like, I don't have the, I don't have an hour to be like, let's figure out how we can work together on something. So I don't know how to manage all these opportunities. And second question is, what should people who have these opportunities, how should they be approaching us and anyone else who, who wants to take them on? Yeah, question number one, right? What's your mission? What's your why? Like, why are you even doing this podcast? Seriously, I'm going to call yeah. you out right now. Why? What's the end goal? Is it for money? No, we're losing money on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great, so you already surpassed that. Great, perfect. What is the why? Why do you want people to watch your podcast, listen to your podcast? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think I don't have a great answer for it. The first is definitely some sort of branding. I want people to know what we're up to. I want other people to learn about what's going on. And why you talked about how the challenge is you can provide all this information and nobody will act upon it. I love to see when people yeah. do act upon it. So it's great to actually provide this information and then to meet up with these people later and hear about oh, I heard that episode or I heard this and, and now I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying these new things. So for me, it's, it's branding. I want people to know who I am. And the second thing is I love seeing people succeeding and taking information and actually acting upon it. What about yourself? Uh, yeah. And so I know for myself, a major factor is I'm a strong believer in the idea you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so a podcast like this, where we're constantly interviewing unique individuals that are kind of living outside of social norms and doing unusual things. It's an excuse to have in-depth conversations with them, kind of the opportunity to pick their brain, learn from them, steal their best secrets. Like it's a really fast way for me to get deep networking with unique, unusual individuals. So that's definitely a, that's one of my angles on I love that. why doing the podcast. It's like selfish, but also, yeah, yeah. it adds value to everyone. Why not document it for everyone else? And it does create a great platform for us just to create more awareness, create a bigger platform, ideally push people more to my YouTube channel, just <laughs> another funnel there. So I think it's like classic. A lot of podcasters are like, we were having these conversations anyway. Why don't we record it? But Matt and I wanted to do a bit of that, but also wanted to have, you know, we wanted to have a fairly polished thing to offer people. So so let me answer your question from yeah. earlier then. Sorry to cut you off. So when you said, you know, who do you spend time with? All these opportunities coming at you. And I think my answer is going to be, if you know your purpose, which is answer number one, you should know your purpose. If my purpose is to help 500 families, the only appointments I take are ones that I can see a clear path to getting that goal. Yeah. If you come to me and say, listen, I want to start a restaurant business. Can we, can we do that? I'm going to say, does that further my goal? Yes or no. If the answer is no, then I won't give you two minutes, let alone an hour. If you come to me and say, I have no money, but I got a way that we can help our families or I got a way that we can blow the humble brand, which will be able to educate people, which you're able to put more money in your pocket, which you're able to help you serve more families. And I'll say, yeah, let's do it. So I think it comes down to what is your mission? And my mission is very clearly your money is better in my pocket than in yours. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Your money is better in my pocket. Why? I've got a greater mission for your money. If your mission is to go and get boozed out and take your money and make a million bucks and go and buy a nice car and buy a nice house and live a very selfish lifestyle, just give it to me. Give it to me because I don't give a crap, right? Like I will literally take that money, I will give it to another family, and I will keep furthering my mission of helping people, right? So if that means I got to put my own personal you know, face online and I got to do this ridiculous humble thing and I got to do all of this, it's because I got a greater purpose, man. Yeah. And that's what like Grant Cardone's purpose is that everybody on the planet know who he is, right? That's his mission. He wants everybody to know who he is, right? He, he's got a massive ego, but you know, I think he's got some kind of end game for why. Yeah. As a, 
fault he does all this stuff, right? They're like all that. Yeah, they've got like laser-like focus on their goals. So for yourself, you have these goals that you mentioned, this 500 homes. How have these goals changed for yourself over time? Do they look different now than they did maybe last year or a few years back? The overall mission and vision doesn't change. The numbers change drastically all the time. Because here's the thing. I think everybody in this podcast, you should make it a goal to make a million bucks. If you're not a millionaire, make a million bucks. And I'll tell you why. It's not because of what you're going to do with the money. Because nobody cares. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care what house you live in. I really don't. Your stuff doesn't impress me. You know, Millionaire Next Door, that's my favorite book because it's a bunch of dudes who don't give a crap about what their neighbors think and they just do whatever they want and they're, and they're yeah. right. Matt's got kind of that mentality. But I think you should make a million bucks for a very specific reason. It's because of the kind of person you have to become to achieve that goal. Think about it. The self-discipline, right? Think about, you know, the drive. Think about the choices you got to make. Think about the things you have to give up and sacrifice to get to that million dollars. Think about those things. Think about the frugality and the things you got to you gotta go through. Think about all your friends who have nice houses and nice cars and you're having some beat up pile, right? And because you're trying to become a millionaire. That perspective and that experience is a lot more valuable than the million bucks. Yeah. So agreed. from 1 million to 10 million to 50 million to 100 million, it doesn't matter. All that happens is the numbers change, right? When I started, I said, I want to have, you know, I want to have 30 rental houses. I did that in like a year and a half, right? Uh, sorry, not a year and a half. It probably took me three and a half, maybe four years to do that, to have about 25, 30 rental houses. Then when I got there, I said, I want to, I want to have a hundred rental houses. Why? Why not? Right? Why not? <laughs> Why not have a hundred rental houses? Not because I need the money necessarily, but it's because, shoot, I'd love to be like the one cool landlord. Like, you know, I'd be like Mr. Rogers in the neighborhood coming by. Everybody's like, yo, what's going on, man? I just walked down the neighborhood. I called the street like Rogers, Rogers Lane or something like that. Everybody putting their shoes on and thinking, man, this guy, Ben, he really helped us, right? This guy helped us. He gave us a nice rental. He took care of us. He treats us with respect because there's so many people that don't. And then out of that, we had opportunities to start thinking about, is there a way we can actually take a lot of these great families? Because I would ask them, why don't you own a house? And they say, well, you know, it's tough and this and that. I say, you're good people. Why don't you own a house? You know, I mean, I don't want you to move because you're obviously a great tenant. But why can't you own something? So it's out of those conversations that led us down the path of, you know what? Let's find a way to make mortgages an option for people. Let's find a way to actually make home ownership affordable. And now we have 72 families in this program. They got about $1.5 to $1.6 million of equity collectively. And those families were changing the course of their future, right? These are people who never would have had 40 grand of equity had they not bought a home. Never, never, never. Yeah. Right? And these are big numbers because Windsor, Ontario, these aren't million dollar homes. Ew. No, average home here is probably, well, currently probably, you know, like in the 150 to 180 range that we work with, but they used to be like 120 to 140 range. I had a lady, I sold her home four and a half years ago for 120,000, fully renovated home, top to bottom. This lady was not getting a mortgage anywhere. She was a sweetheart. She's a, she's the nicest lady. She bought a home for 120. Four and a half years later, she wants to downsize and get a smaller home, right? And everybody knows the numbers are crazy. She sold it. She put it up on Wednesday night, got a cash offer on Friday for $166,000. Wow. Right? That lady owes $115,000. That lady has $50,000 of equity to her name. That's $50,000 of net worth. Yeah. Yeah. That's all she has. So that, that is her net worth. I, the fact that she committed to a house is why she's being rewarded. 
Yeah. I'm curious, Ben, you've kind of talked about how your goals have grown as you've kind of grown with your goals. Is there a point where you're going to hit enough? Will you ever stop and like retire? Will you eventually be that beach bum or on a golf course? Or is it part of, do you love the hustle? Dude, why? That's my question is always why. Start with why with every answer, with every conversation. Every I look at why. Would I sit back and do nothing? I mean, I'd have to change my whole personality because, dude, I love the deal. I love being in the center of a deal. My favorite time when my wife is the happiest is when I come home and I got a deal done. Everybody happy. The freaking dog's happy. I'm happy. The mailman's happy. Mr. Rogers is happy. Like, damn, everybody's happy, right? It's because I got a deal done. So I love being in the deal. I don't know when I'm ever going to not do deals. Part of the success and part of the benefits, people look at the money. I don't look at the money. I look at the time. I look that I can do a podcast with you guys for an hour and nobody's breathing down my back because I got, like I sold 42 homes last year. I The biggest blessing for me is I don't have to be on site and swing a hammer anymore. I don't have to do a lot of the stuff that I didn't care for because I built I built the company where I can afford to do the things that I want to do every day. If I want to dress like a bum, I dress like a bum. If I want to put on a suit, I put on a suit. If I want to act goofy in front of a camera and do the humble wholesale bit, nobody's going to say boo. And if they do, it doesn't matter. So I think that's my biggest why. So will I ever stop? I don't know, man. I'd have to find a greater mission. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah. if I decided to like, you know, sell the Forte brand, I would be going, I'd probably pick a mission or a vision at my church and I would do that. Whether it's going to help start up other churches, whether it's go to help people in another country, I would rather be in some, you know, probably I'd rather be in some, you know, third world country at some orphanage, you know, and helping those people do something than just sitting on my ass at home doing nothing. Yeah. Like I just can't. It does. It's not my nature, dude. It's just not my nature to just retire and expire, right? Yeah. That's what it is, brother. I can't retire and expire. I'll be ninety. I'll still be like, "What's up, man? I'm a wholesale man." What's going on? <laughs> I don't even need to. I'll actually need those those fake teeth at that point, dude, because I'll need that grill. I won't even be able to chew my vegetables. I'm like, man, you know what I love is you were saying that you always ask why to these questions. And we always talk about the idea of conscious decisions, conscious consumption, all of that. So it's a really simple way to say it is just ask yourself why more often, because you asked us, why do we do the podcast? And like, it instantly makes you think like, what are the real reasons you're doing this? What is the conscious decision you're making to do these, to have these actions in your life? People need to ask themselves why a little more often. One other thing I kind of want to highlight, Ben, is just I love how you commit 100% to something, right? You're not kind of going half in on the humble brand. You fully embrace it, right? You have to, man. If you're going to do anything in life, be effective. That's the one key I got. The the worst thing I hear from people is, hey, man, how's business? It's busy. That means you suck. (laughs) If If your business is busy, it means you suck. You're not doing anything. Being busy is not being in business, right? If you do anything in life, do it effectively. Yeah. If you're going to be lazy and sit on the couch, hell, do that effectively. I don't know. Get get your Cheerio bowl and get your other popcorn and everything else. Put it, be efficient in what you're doing. So if I'm going to commit to a humble brand, it is disingenuous for me to jump in with one foot because then I'm not committing to anything, dude. A commitment requires a full-hearted assessment of the situation and making steps and making sacrifices to achieve a goal even when you don't want to do it. You want to lose 20 pounds? Go to the gym. You don't got to feel like you got to go to the gym. If you got to wait until you're motivated to go to the gym, you won't go to the gym, right? You just got to go there. And as you're there and as your body improves, I say this all the time, you will start to find motivation in the fact that you are in the doing of things. The doing of things is the greatest asset. 
It's doing things you don't want to do. So if you commit in your mind, you need to just move forward, period. And that's why I've done 105 deals and most people have done no deals or one deal is because they have not committed in their mind to being a successful real estate investor. They've committed it to doing it when they feel like it or when the numbers are perfect or when it's too warm outside on a Saturday and they're bored sitting at home, so they're going to go to open houses. That's a feeling, dude. Feelings are your enemy. Write that down. <laughs> your feelings are your enemy. Discipline, commitment is your friend. I like that. It, it reminds me, people talk about like, find your motivation. Why are you motivated to do this stuff? And a lot of times for business, it's not necessarily motivation. It's going to be, it's discipline. If you find your purpose, the discipline will come. Yes. Let me tell you that. The greater the purpose, there's a book out there called The Purpose Driven Life, a Christian book by Rick Warren. And he says, if you have purpose, you will gain discipline. If your purpose is too small, you will not have the discipline. And if you need to wait on motivation, that is the least of these. Like motivation is the lowest metric possible. If you got to feel good to do something, then you got no purpose and you really got no business doing it. That's just the reality of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people... Especially in this day and age, let's let's call it what it is, millennials, whatever you want to call it. I love everybody the same, so I don't care. But the reality is there's a lot of feelings. Here's my opinion of an opinion, right? That's Somebody's funny. opinion is the most overrated commodity in today's society, is people's opinions. Everybody's got one. They don't cost anything. There's no commitment behind an opinion, right? Your thoughts mean nothing to me. I'm sorry they don't. Your actions mean everything to me. Yeah. That's the issue I find with most real estate investors. If we're going to be frank, everybody has an opinion, dude. Your mom tells you how to buy a house. Your dad says, when I get my mortgage, you're 16%. Nobody cares, man. <laughs> Nobody cares about your crap. Nobody cares about your opinion. They like to think they do. And what people do is they put so much weight on opinion and not enough weight on action. And you can't put weight on action if you got no purpose. I'm like preaching to the choir right now. <laughs> yeah, you are 100%. And so what did your friends and family kind of think at the start when you got into real estate investing? Were they supportive? Did they think you were crazy? Dude, at, at the beginning, I was doing like everything because I didn't know about real estate. I mean, I knew, but I didn't. Like I had a duplex and a second duplex, right? And I started doing like the multi, multi-level multi marketing things. And, you know, I was doing that. And they used to call me get rich quick kid and all this kind of thing, right? Because I didn't really know what my purpose was. I just knew I wanted to do something, you know, active and something in a business. And when I first started doing real estate, it was very quiet. It was quiet for probably five, six, seven years, meaning nobody was like, other than a couple of people, like, you know, parents and a couple of family members, they were like, hey, keep going. Hey, keep going. I didn't have a driver. I didn't have somebody saying, man, this is impressive. Man, you're doing great. Man. It's like Andy Frizzella sleeping in the back of his warehouse when this dude started the nutrition company, right? And his first day in business, he made like seven bucks. Yeah. People want to see the success and the accolades. Nobody wants to see the journey. So the reality is most people just didn't care, didn't know. And what I said to them was, the last thing I'm going to do is go and tell people what I'm doing. I just need to go and do the thing I want to do. I love that because some people are, I've said this before on the podcast, but some people are like, I'm going to tell people what I'm going to do and that'll make my goals actionable or that'll make my make myself accountable to these goals. But in my experience nope. and a lot of people, they love telling people their goals and then they get all the satisfaction of just telling people that and then they don't have to follow through. Yep. And I agree with that logic. So the reality is people get so excited. What do they do? Like I just told you, they go for opinions. 
And then everybody's going to give you one. And then you're going to get subject to somebody's negative opinion. And then it's going to wear you down. And then you're never going to take the action. So the best thing to do is if you know you want to do real estate, you're a smart human being. You can do math. You can do subtraction. Find a guy like me. Like if you want to do wholesaling, sign up for Canadian Hustle Wholesale. Because then you're going to get access to me. Like literally me in Windsor. And you get the better package. You can literally come down and hang out with me and I'll show you how to do deals. People say find a mentor. I don't think you need to find necessarily a mentor who's going to spend a ton of time with you. You need to find a guy that you can look up to who's just taking massive action and just emulate him. Don't emulate all your friends and go telling everybody what you want to do. People make this mistake a lot. They talk and talk and talk about stuff. They get discouraged. They overanalyze the numbers. They don't build on their skills. And their excitement just flails out, right? Like it flails out and then they, they have no, you know, they have no, uh, it's just like when you're trying to lose weight. Oh, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Dude, you're eating a Cheeto right now. You're telling me you're going to lose 20 pounds. Like, you're literally eating a Cheeto right now. And drinking a- <laughs> right? You're better off to put the Cheeto down, start eating salads. And then six months later, somebody says, damn, you're looking good, man. Why are you eating salads every day? Well, obviously it's working for you. You don't have to tell people you're working out. So what happened to me was I literally went five or 10 years unnoticed. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, snap. I've done like 100 deals. Yeah. Oh, I better tell somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So People don't even know what I was doing. A lot of people, listeners on this podcast, I'm assuming a lot of them are probably more into more of a lean fire lifestyle. So they don't spend a lot of money. They earn a lot or, and then they save it or they invest it or they, you know, invest in real estate or stocks or whatever they're doing. But in general, their lifestyle is going to be typically a little bit more frugal on that side of the spectrum. So, you know, for yourself, where do you fall on that spectrum? And like, what's the ideal lifestyle for yourself? I am probably the quintessential. I am the pinnacle of that mindset. So here's what happened. And I'll give somebody the battle plan to, to getting wealthy very quickly. Here's what you do. So my wife and I are all, we're both very aggressive workers. Like we're both hardworking people. My wife's brilliant. Like she's got analytical side down pat. She's a treasury manager for a large company in the US. So when we got married, we decided that we were going to live in a duplex and literally we were going to live on one paycheck and we were going to save the entire other paycheck. Nice. So we've saved her paycheck now for 10 years. Wow. Okay. So we committed to living on my paycheck. When my paycheck was small, dude, rice and beans. When I got a little bit, like we budgeted every freaking dollar and we still do. Every dollar I spend gets put in a budget, every dollar. Because the reality is without without that kind of discipline, you're never going to get anywhere. I was very fortunate that she came from a family that was very disciplined with money. You know, it gave her that sense of saving and thrifting and being frugal and we drove older cars and but. I think people misconstrue that idea. Driving older cars ain't going to make you rich. Driving older cars because you're taking all your money and you're investing it back in yourself, your knowledge, your business is going to make you rich. It's not yeah, driving piece I of crap. That. That doesn't That's a great point. Right? That surprised me. I honestly wasn't expecting that uh, from you. <laughs> <laughs> what the budgeting and the like, being so aware of like the value. I'm humble, brother. I just told you I'm humble. Like you don't realize how deep the humble. <laughs> I guess I didn't was. either. Yeah. That's why I created the humble character because really it was a very humbling experience when all of my high school buddies are driving new cars, going to the bar every day, have nice big houses, and I'm living in a duplex with a mother and three kids above me who have freaking Hot Wheels on Saturday morning and they're running them on the hardwood. And, like, <laughs> and 
no, you're recording. And you hear it's it. absurd like how it. many of our, our guests have been house hacking and living in a duplex, triplex, fourplex. Everybody. Yeah. Dude, I was house hacking before they called it house hacking. It was just called common sense back in my day. <laughs> right? So we did that. I literally, so here's the transition. I bought my first duplex when I was, I don't know, 21, right? I was living for like 156 bucks a month. That's what I was, you know, cashing out per month after everything was paid and I got my other rent collected. From there, I moved to another duplex and kept that one. When my wife and I got married, we moved into a third duplex. So we kept moving duplex to duplex. I did that three times. And then by the time when we were in the third duplex, we were pretty much living for free. Then you take somebody who makes a really good corporate American salary, anywhere from 50 to 100. So here's what you do. If you got a partner, spouse, wife, whatever. You take her whole income and you put it in a separate account and you freaking lock the key on that account and you spend only what you have, right? When an opportunity comes up for education, like Canadian hustle wholesaling, which you're going to pay me five grand to learn how to do this because you're going to make five grand your first deal. You go and you unlock that key, you take the money and you move it into something productive, right? And you do that over and over again. So now we just got to the point where it's commonplace for my wife and I to not spend her income. And she still works, right? Like she works and she's making three times the money she did when she started 10 years ago. But her income goes towards investments, bottom line. So if I want to pick up an investment, I want to pick up a book, I want to go and buy a course, I want to go buy prop. Like when we started buying properties, it was only because we had saved her money. Grant Cardone, this guy was driving like a junkie. I think it was a Honda Civic or something like that. The dude had almost a million bucks cash in his bank account. He was living on a $500 apartment because he realized that the best thing for him was to save as much yeah. capital so that when an opportunity presented yeah. itself, he could capitalize yeah. on that. So the way I look at opportunity is very simple. Opportunity equals skill meets chance, right? If you have the skills and a chance presents itself, that's called an opportunity. If you're lacking the skills and the chance, the chance comes every day for people to make money, but they don't know how to take advantage of it, right? And on the other side, if you got a ton of skills, but no chance, like you live in a third world country, well, then you're not going to have an opportunity. But for me, it was about... First thing, investing in myself and learning how to be the most effective business person, salesman, whatever that I could be with that savings. And then when opportunities came like $25,000 houses, I had the cash ready to roll. And then we knocked them off one after one, one after the other, one after the other. So I think that's how if you want a house hack, house hack that way. You know, Find a spouse. Even if you don't got a spouse, you live in single. Go find your brother or something and tell your brother, listen, man, we're living on my paycheck. <laughs> You come to my house, we're going to rock some Cheerios. You know? We're going to take your paycheck, right? And we're going to put it into a thing. And I'm going to commit my paycheck to you and me and our living expenses. And the rest of that paycheck, you and I are going to use to invest in ourselves and our future. That's amazing. Do that for 10 years, you'll be a millionaire. Don't do it for 10 years, you're going to be like You're 100% else. right. You will be a millionaire. Dude, there's no question in my mind you can make a million dollars in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to make 100 grand a year. You're going to make... You know, 10 grand, 15, 30, 40. Then, you're, then before you know it, you're making 20, 30, 40, 50 grand a month oh, in your real estate business, your wholesale, your flipping, your multi unit apartments, whatever you're doing, because you actually exponentially grow your wealth that much faster. People think it's a linear equation. Growth accumulation is not linear, it's not linear at all. You literally move up in stages. And if you know how to take advantage of market cycles, you will go from making 100 grand a year, and then in two years, you're going to make a million bucks. And then you'll go back to making 200 grand a year. Then you'll make another million and a half because you're going to learn to identify opportunities where you can jump and you can move. And the reason I tell you, you got to get committed up front is because how are you going to pull the trigger on a million dollar 
deal if you never pulled the trigger on a $50,000 deal because you got analysis paralysis. So all these guys who have never done deals and they're analyzing multi-unit apartment buildings, the question is why? What are you doing? Yeah, You've never even seen the other side of a closing table and you're trying to analyze multi-unit apartment deals because bigger pockets is cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The humble brand is about starting at the bottom. It's about grinding your ass off. It's about working hard. It's about saving your money. And it's about creating an opportunity for yourself to become wealthy. That's what humble is all about. And the reason why I did the humble is because honestly, money's not a big deal. Money is not serious. Real estate is not serious. And if you take it seriously, you're never going to do deals. So the whole humble thing is making fun of everybody who's wearing the gold chains and the fake teeth and spending every dollar they got on all this crap that means nothing at the end of the day. So I'm just going to play it up into my character, right? Humble dude doing phone calls. A guy guy closes a $2,000 deal. Now he's got like a $400 net. <laughs> right? Because it represents what our society represents in a very extreme yeah. way, which is he makes a thousand bucks and then he goes out and he spends it 300 bucks of that with his boys at the bar, mm-hmm. right? And then what has he got? Nothing. He's got 700 bucks left, pays his rent, pays his whatever else he's got going on. Now he's back to square one a week later. Like that's not building anything. Like I said, be effective. If you're going to build, build. If you're going to not build, then don't build. But don't pretend like you're building. Yeah. And don't tell people you want to build when you're not willing to take the actions to build. That's awesome. Dude, this is you just bombs, dude. This is like serious bombs for people i hope they they can understand what yeah I'm no i'm loving it man this is a i great think you'll episode. be surprised like you you've probably experienced a lot of people in your life that haven't taken action based on advice and things like that but i don't think that our listeners are that audience so i think that you're gonna be surprised that people cool. are gonna be taking it. action i so. love it and they should they should learn how to wholesale they should learn how to do deals and they should learn how to you know i'm pretty sure your audience has already got like you said that frugal mindset that very you know cost mindset they're, they're doing all that stuff all your audience needs to do is commit to doing something pick something that's the easiest entry point to real estate let's say it's going to be real estate like wholesaling call me up let's do wholesaling i'll teach you how if not then find something that's going to be your thing if you're so analytical and you understand markets and you love forex trading then be the forex dude it doesn't matter you know pick something though and stick with that something when it gets tough you got to grind it the reason why real estate makes sense for me is because when it's tough I can grind through it because it's tangible. That's the reason I love real estate. I can grind through it because I can touch a building. I can force appreciation. I can force a lot of mitigating factors in my direction when it comes to real estate. I have zero control over market spreads on, you know, a commodity cost on, let's say, potatoes in uh, Nicaragua or wherever they're coming from. I have zero influence over those market conditions. And that's why I have zero control in those market cycles. But if you understand that and you have a connection and your whole family's in Nicaragua and they grow potatoes, <laughs> you better be investing in some potato stocks if you know what's going on. Get competitive right? advantage and use it. 100% agree. Every time. Get competitive advantage. Yeah. So there's four questions we like to ask every guest. So we just call it our fire four. And so the first question I have for you, Ben, is just what are you grateful for? Dude, grateful for everything. My family, my existence, my life, my business, my wife, most of all, you know, my God, right? Like I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for all the opportunities that I've been given. I think it's a massive blessing, you know, because I'm a saved, born again Christian. So that's what I'm hugely thankful for. I got family back home who don't have anything in Romania. I'm talking first cousins, aunts, uncles who live 
you know, somewhere around the poverty line. You know what I mean? So coming from that environment, it's everything. You got to be thankful. And that's what humble is all about. Humble is about being thankful all the time for everything you got. Every transaction, every encounter, every person you meet, being thankful for that opportunity. The moment you decide to let your pride and ego get in the way, close the book. Yeah, ego is the enemy. Because ego is the enemy in every deal. And I meet enough realtors and enough investors and enough people who have such massive egos and such massive whatever. Like, here's what happens, and it's kind of interesting, and you might you might find this mad along the way. When you're talking with a guy who's on his way up, right? Let's say there's a guy he's worth a hundred grand, he's done three or four deals or whatever else, and this and that. That guy sometimes has a massive ego because he's trying to prove that he belongs to sit at the table you're at. So like when you sit down with a guy worth $10 million and you're worth a hundred grand, for example, you as that guy for a hundred grand, some people, if you have that massive ego, you're going to come across greater than you are. You're always going to come across better than you are because you want to show that you really do belong to sit and have that conversation or sit in that meeting or, or be at that dinner party or hang out with those friends or have that kind of level of influence. The reality is you don't. The people who I know are the wealthiest are people who realize that you don't need to prove you're better. Humble yourself and be less yeah. than you are. Because if you're less than you are, undersell yourself all the time. You're going to gain a lot more momentum and favor and, and things with people, with life, with decisions. If you just humble yourself and stop being so arrogant and stop stop being entitled and stop thinking you deserve and stop thinking that, you know, the guy who makes a hundred grand a year is the guy who's got the brand new card, the gold chain, the new jeans, the $200 Nike shoes and all that crap right? The guy who makes a hundred grand a year has that. I know a bunch of those guys, the guys who make three, $4 million a year. Most of them you'll never know yeah. by the way, because they keep their mouth shut about it. And then the ones that you do see around, like I had a goal to buy a Ferrari, right? Okay. And I said to myself, dude, and I can afford a Ferrari. I'm going to buy a Ferrari. Cause I like cars. Okay. Then I have the money to buy a Ferrari. Ask me if I bought the did Ferrari. You buy the Ferrari? Nope. <laughs> nope. I did not. And then here's what I said. How much cooler would it be when the Ferrari represents 50% of my net worth? And then I got there and asked me if I bought the Ferrari. Nope. And then I said, how much cooler is it when the Ferrari represents 1% of my net worth? And then maybe when I get there, I'm going to be like, okay. <laughs> the point is, it's not the Ferrari, dude. You're not chasing the Ferrari. The Ferrari is a metric for your success. The moment that you know that it represents X amount of your net worth means you've achieved your goals financially and what you're yeah, trying to yeah. achieve. And I love, you were ta- I love the idea of being the guy who comes to the room, asks the questions, you know, like you said, humbles himself, doesn't try to act like he's on the same level, asks great questions. And then, you know, he's coachable, teachable, and then takes real action and proves himself through his actions, not through his words. And then, yep. And the guy who's worth 5 million bucks and he wants to go to 50, he knows that he needs to find people that are worth 50 and let them exactly. him there. So he needs to be humble. He needs to be the guy who's willing to you know, to ask the questions, willing to put himself out there, willing to make the connections and willing to be the one, you know, that movie Planet of the Apes when that one ape holds out his palm and the other ape has to like bow down and like put his yeah. hand on top of it. I'm that little ape every time. Every time I'm that little ape looking up to another ape because you never know in which encounter somebody can offer you some massive value that you just don't even understand because you're not open to I that expression. It. Yeah. Right. So our second question in the fire four is it's kind of the opposite of the first question. Do you have a guilty pleasure or something like a tool or something in your life that you can't live without? 
Guilty pleasure, man. I don't know. Like in terms of what? Maybe it's something that you like, that if you told someone I bought this, I spent this much money on it, or I have this in my life, and other people are like, "Why the hell do you have that?" I don't, I don't understand. And you, it's just a guilty pleasure, of yours. Dude, that's a great question. You know what? And here's 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 my answer to you. Every person in the world has something that they will justify spending money on that other people think is yeah. ridiculous. Matt, you have it too. If Matt found a way to become more frugal by spending money, he would buy it every time. If Matt could find a book that was $20 that teach him how to save $100, he'd buy that book. Other people wouldn't buy that book. Every person has a thing. For me, it's investments. If you come to me and say, listen, you can make a million dollars. I just need 200 grand right now. Done. 200 grand, done. Let's do it. We're done, right? So for me, it's not cars. It's not this. It's not, I don't know about guilty pleasures. I love food. Like I, I'm not a foodie, but I love to eat good quality food. So if I'm going out for sushi, I'm spending 70 bucks. Like I'm not going to go to a $20 sushi place because I'm humble like that. You know what I mean? I only eat the best sushi. <laughs> if I got to pick a thing, it's probably, you know, like sushi or food. You know, I, I like that. In terms of everything else, dude, it's, it's, all, it's all intangible to me. I love nice cars, but I drive a 10-year-old pickup truck. Why? Because I don't yeah. care, man. Because it's supposed to just get me to work and make – I love that pickup truck. More than you love your brand new pickup truck. Why? Because that pickup truck has made me tons and tons and tons of money and it's kept me under the radar and I love it because I don't owe anything on it. And that's why, like I got, I got a BMW. That's the same thing. I bought this thing for next to nothing. Value is my biggest, my biggest pleasure in life is when I get I love, value. I love how difficult <laughs> this question is for our, our guests usually because <laughs> people usually have a whole bunch, a whole long list of guilty pleasures, but our guests kind of struggle to find it yeah. because They'd rather spend that money on investing something. Dude, my guilty pleasure is my mission. And I will I will rip throat to get my mission done. And everything else doesn't matter. I feel like in a way I'm kind of like Gary V in that, except for I'm better looking. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> but I, I watch Gary V do interviews with people and he crushes the other interviewees. Because Gary just doesn't care. Hey, Gary, don't you agree that, you know, it's better to have money? Gary's like, it depends. I don't know. Should you have money? Do you do you deserve to have money? Are you a person who can manage money? Like Gary just doesn't give a crap. He just tells it exactly how he feels it. And and he puts a lot of people to shame, in my opinion, when yeah. he does interviews. And he's brilliant for that. And not because he's aggressive and because he's a dickhead. It's because Gary just internally has his own, you know, sense of ownership of who he is. And he's not gonna change it, adapt it. He's not gonna do anything to jeopardize his own sense of identity for anybody. He doesn't care who yeah. it is, right? So I think for me, the guilty pleasure is, I don't know, like I have a mission and that's kind of my guilty pleasure that if you attack my mission, you know, I'll go after you with everything I got. And if I got a guilty pleasure, it's probably like seeing my families move into homes is my biggest like satisfaction moment. When I can hand somebody the keys and say, here you go. That's my high. That's my drive. I love the fact when I can take somebody and say, you know what? Nobody wanted to help you. I'm the one to help you. And it's probably because I'm a Christian and because I feel that that's the same way how, you know, Jesus forgave me of my sins so I can do all this stuff. But I think that's what it is. There's no, there's no tangible, dude. Like, I don't give a crap. I can live anywhere. I can do anything. I don't need to drink Coca-Cola every day. So I, it's kind of a really tough question for me to answer. Yeah, it no, that's great. Right. Fair enough. So question number three, is there a frugality tip or life hack that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. Number one. Budget everything because you lose a ton of money when you're spending cash, number one. So some people like, and I like Dave Ramsey and all that kind of stuff. But when you put money in jars, I don't think you should put money in jars. I think you should put money into an accountability measure like pay with your Visa card because then you can see exactly where the money went at any point and you can reconcile those accounts quickly. 
So I like access to my information very fast, right? Because I don't, I don't actually count every dollar when I spend it. My job is to make money. My wife's job is to count the money and make sure, you know, we got it, right? Make sure that it's gone in the right places. So the biggest hack for me, I would say, if you're looking to get ahead is, is what I said, find a partner, find a buddy and, and literally make an arrangement or a wife or whomever or your parents or something. Be willing to be unconventional in the way that you build equity. And you can't do business deals if you got no money. I'm sorry. Everybody who wants to life hack their way into millionairehood and do all these VC joint venture deals, like I get that it requires skill and it's fantastic. I got nothing against doing deals. But you need to build the discipline of being able to save money, being able to be disciplined individual, being able to you know, be the kind of person who has the skills and the right mindset before you approach an investor who's got a million bucks and ask him to give it to you to buy an apartment building when you've yeah. never done a deal. I think you need to build your sense of discipline first. You need to be a Jedi. You need to be a, you know, a Buddhist monk <laughs> or something. You know, because those are the guys like you could take my money away right now. And I think within five years, pick a person. I don't know. Pick, pick a guy who is reasonably wealthy. Five years, maybe 10 years, I'm going to surpass him. I don't care how hungry he is. I'm hungrier. I don't care how dedicated he is. I'm more dedicated. It's because I got a, I got that yeah. mission, right? So I think that's my tip is I'm not going to tell you save your money. I'm not going to tell you don't spend your money. I'm going to tell you stop overanalyzing your small amounts of money. The biggest thing I learned from Grant Cardone, the reason I do Humble Wholesaler is because here's what Grant said. If you make 50% return on $1,000, it equates to nothing. Nobody cares. It's $1,000. Nobody cares. It's not going to change your life. So what you need to do is you need to start thinking in greater terms, right? It's not about what you keep. It's about how much money you make, first of all, and then worry about how much you keep and how much taxes you pay. You don't buy a real estate deal because, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna get a tax distribution on this or I'm going to save this and that. I think people just got to take a lot more action and think a lot bigger than what they think. Most people yeah. think too small. Next. They analyze small deals. They look at small numbers. They talk about small returns. And even they get a, I got a 45% ROI on this deal. Dude, you're getting 48 bucks a month to cash flow. Who cares? <laughs> All right. So our last question, the fire four, what would the hero of your own movie do in your life right now? What would the hero of my own movie do in my life right now? The hero in my own movie is a guy who he's literally out bringing, bringing tangible, practical financial knowledge to people like hustle wholesaling. And helping families in a way that nobody else is willing to help them. That's what he's doing. He's literally saving the world financially and he's making home ownership possible for people that, that don't have a chance, right? He's offering redemption to people that don't know it. Awesome. That's what he's doing. He's driving a sick ass Ferrari. <laughs> there you go. Stay humble, right? That's right. Keep it humble. So thanks so much, Ben, for being on the show. And right before we wrap things up, we always like to get our guests to ask our audience a question. So do you have a question for our audience? It yeah, can I do. Be anything. Here's, my question. Here's my question. Ready? And I got 5% battery on this laptop. My question to you is why? Why are you doing this? Why are you listening to this podcast? Why? Why and what do you want out of life? And think about when you're 80 years old, go to the end of your life cycle right now and think about your why. What are you going to do if you had $10 million? What is it going to mean? Is it going to mean you have a nice house and a nice car? And if that's your why, fine. Is that a strong enough? And then the second question is, is it a strong enough why to get you there? If your why is you want to make $20 million and it's because you want to have a nice boat, is that a strong enough why for you to ever push through all the self-discipline, the sacrifices to get there so you can have a nice boat? Love it. 
Yeah. Where can people find you or get in touch with you? You'll get at me at uh, Humble Wholesaler on Instagram. You get at me on, on YouTube. I got a Facebook page, also Ben Murison, M-U-R-E-S-A-N, or uh, Humble Wholesaler. Dude, it's going to be sick. The next few months are going to be awesome with social media. You're going to see me do all kinds of wacky, crazy things, which I, I just think is hilarious. I'll get a whole bunch of haters. But like I said, you haters better know me so y'all can slow me. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> so you'll be everywhere. Get at me. I th- but honestly, you can find me on OREC. OREC 2018 is going to be awesome. Like Matt's going to be there. You guys will yeah. be there. It's going to be a great event. I think it's a great event to raise awareness on the BS factor of real estate. That's my whole mission is to tell people, dude, real estate is fun, man. It is fun if you take a fun approach to it. If you take it seriously and you want to crunch numbers and you want to have, you know, freaking uh, analysis paralysis and go into a seizure every time you look at a deal, <laughs> real estate, man. Don't do real estate. Love it. And everyone, that's orec2018.com. So if you want to come out, see Ben, see Matt, see myself, and see a bunch of other people, yeah, uh, definitely the place to be. Yeah, And then one I'm going to drop at you guys for the wholesale, just go to my partner's page, chrisrude.com, chrisrude.com, uh, Platinum Grow Sponsor. Get you set up. If you guys really want to do wholesaling to this whole audience, if you want to learn a very viable way of getting into real estate, Go to chrisrude.com, get signed up for Hustle Wholesaling, and I'm actually going to want to connect with every person who signs up in the Canadian course because I'm so excited to amp this up and get people educated. I want an army of people who are wholesaling, and I want an army of people who are doing real estate in a big way. That's what I want to see. I want to see 100 dudes crushing it in real estate, and they're going to say, that Mr. Rogers dude, he helped me, man. He helped me. (laughs) Love it. All right. Thanks again for being on the show, Ben. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Y'all have a great day. I'm getting back to close deals. Take care. (laughs) Stay humble. Hey, man. So just want to let you know, you guys, be cool, stay fresh, and like my man says, stay humble. Be humble. That was awesome. Ben's just so high energy, and I just love how driven he is by his mission, and yet he's able to have a lot of fun with it with the Humble Wholesaler brand. Yeah, Ben's having a blast with that. I don't have much to say other than Ben is going places. He's just yet another guest that we need to bring on again in the future when we can look back at his humble beginnings. Absolutely. And while you guys are waiting for our next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and follow us on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. And make sure to tune into our next On Fire Podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Thanks for listening. This is Matt and Kellen signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Joyce Meyer said. Humble people ask for help.